Welcome in to another edition of the Daily Tap Podcast. I am your host, Charlie. This is a near-daily Wisconsin sports podcast on the Tabbing the Keg Podcast Network. You can rate, review, and subscribe. We would appreciate it if you haven't already. Tell your friends, tell your family. Good holiday conversation. Hey, have you been listening to this Wisconsin podcast by this guy, Charlie? It's great. Have you heard of it? Send it to him. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Send it to us on social. I will then buy you a beverage of your choice. Not, not really beverage of your choice, but I will Venmo you five bucks, ten bucks. Appreciate it. Oh yeah, we're on social media. Tapping the Keg Sports on Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram. Tapping the Keg on Twitter. Hope you follow us on all of those things. All right, today's show, a good one. Why the NFC North Championship should be a consistency award and not something you shrug off. We'll talk about defensive worries before getting into star ratings. And then we will talk a little bit about Marquette, who's just not quite there yet. They're almost there, but not quite there yet. We'll take a break from the Bucks and COVID. Since we don't have a ton of Bucks games this week, it's probably a good thing to save for Tuesday. But let's start with the Green Bay Packers and their victory over the Baltimore Ravens. The Green Bay Packers got it done tonight, 31-30. to It was an awesome game. It was a game that probably the Packers should have put away. The Packers had their foot on the throat, and they let the Ravens creep through the back door. I've talked before on this show about foot-on-the-throat type of things. You see it a lot in basketball, right? where you have like a 10-point lead with five minutes left to go in the game. And all you need to do is make a couple more shots and this game's over. And that was really the case for Green Bay. If Green Bay gets that touchdown, if Aaron Rodgers doesn't overthrow Alan Lazard and hits Alan Lazard in the back of the end zone, it's 35-17. to And it is absolutely curtains for the Ravens and Tyler Huntley. But instead, they settle for a field goal. It's clean, which is good. You know, you know that's always an issue. And Huntley was able to drive the ball down. Green Bay had a pathetic drive to finish off the game. Gave the ball back. And with a terrible punt, given our special teams issues, uh, Baltimore was able to get down the field and had a chance to win with a two-point conversion, deciding not to go to overtime. Now, that will be debated. That will be talked about. That will be... Probably the second or third headline from week number, it's week 15. I think it'll probably be three or four on the headline list. Like if you're doing the headline list, obviously Brady getting shut out is number one. Number two is the Arizona Cardinals falling apart and blowing a golden opportunity now with Tampa Bay losing. That Arizona loss to Detroit hurts so much more because Tampa Bay lost to New Orleans. And I think Dallas will fit into that conversation as well. I do think there will also be a conversation about Cincinnati a little bit. Indianapolis will also make the rounds. And then I think you will talk about the two-point conversion. John Harbaugh, the analytics darling. Analytics has been a hot topic this year. If we're doing a best picture for uh, takes, maybe not best picture, but like if we're giving an award for like the topic of the year for the NFL, I think it would be analytic analytical decisions for fourth downs and two-point conversions. And John Harbaugh always seems to find himself in the mix on those. I personally would have went for the tie 
and trusted my defense a little bit. I think Harbaugh knew his defense couldn't stop Aaron Rodgers and worried that basically it would come down to a coin flip. But when you have Justin Tucker, you have the ability to do all these things that maybe you would have, maybe it would have been beneficial to just try out and use the best kicker in football. Like if they would have taken a field goal right away, fourth and goal, four yards out in the beginning of that game, it's three nothing. I mean, they win the game. It's thirty four to thirty one. That's what we're talking about. Where Tyler Huntley is probably moves up to that second or third. How many teams would want Tyler Huntley? Which I still think will be a conversation because Tyler Huntley was very impressive. Or do you not want to pay Lamar Jackson and you just pay Tyler Huntley? I think that's at least a, a take someone's going to have. Someone, someone will have it. If my friend Eric had it, I guarantee you someone else in the national media will will zag to that direction of, are you sure they need to pay Lamar Jackson? They could always just ride it out with Tyler Huntley. I think that will be a topic. But the Packers did win, and so they clinched the NFC North. This is their 15th NFC North title in the last 26 years. Now, you can immediately say, you can be a wise ass and say, oh yeah, they only have one, two Super Bowls to show for it. That is true. But the idea of the consistency is what matters here. You guys might laugh at me. You guys might think I'm stupid when I say this, but it is very hard to win NFC North titles. You're like, Charlie, you're full of shit. What do you mean? It's, ser- it's seriously true. It is not easy to win division titles. Teams do not do it in the way that I think others expect them to. It is a challenge and it is a appreciation of what Green Bay has built through this organization from 1995 on with this team. And from Ron Wolf to Ted Thompson to now Brian Gunacoust, they have built a foundation that is among the greatest in the NFL last 30 years. The Green Bay Packers are right there with the New England Patriots and the Pittsburgh Steelers as the most successful franchises of the last 30 years. And I think those are the only three that are worth the conversation. The Kansas City Chiefs deserve some mention. The Denver Broncos deserve some mention. Uh, The San Francisco 49ers, Seattle Seahawks, both are, those are all in that second tier. It's kind of interesting. I was hanging out with my guy, Jay Nelly, who I haven't seen in God knows when. It's been a long time. But he, we were talking about Blue Bloods and Marquette, which Mitch, now that's Mitch's favorite go-to subject to try to get me riled up or make me look stupid. He's like, hey, do you know that Charlie thinks Marquette's a Blue Blood? Like he loves to bring it up in conversation. And when Mitch has something, he will stick to it. But I thought Jay Nelly brought up a good point about how like Blue Bloods are one tier. Then there's like an elite tier then there's like a gold tier, and then there is uh, whatever. He, he did this whole thing, and it, it made a lot of sense. And I think in a way that you could do that with football for the last 25, 26 years, I think like the blue bloods of the NFL of the last 26 years here are the Patriots, the Packers, and the Steelers. And the division titles are the answer. Now you could look at that and you could say, Charlie, the Patriots and Packers have played in bullshit divisions. Yeah, maybe, but here's the thing. There's still wildcard teams coming out of those divisions. Like the Bears have had some wildcard appearances. The Vikings have had some wildcard appearances. The Bills, the Jets, the Dolphins, they've all found their way 
to the playoffs at some point. To just be nonchalant and say, oh, they play in a weak division, so that's why, is absolutely bullshit. It's it's discrediting what this team does year in and year out and builds winners. And the fact that the Green Bay Packers have done it 15 times in the last 26 years is something worth celebrating. The Packers are what a lot of teams want to be. I think why Aaron Rodgers and I think why Green Bay makes people so mad is because they wish they were the Packers. As I said on Twitter, when part of my take did the uh, ref doing the Lambo leap meme, I said they hate us because they ain't us. And it's true. I think there are so many people that would love to be Packer fans. And I don't think that's cocky. I don't think that's arrogant. I think that's the fucking truth. And I think if you don't like it, I, a, why you're listening to this podcast. But B, like, gotta have some honest conversation with yourself here. Even though the Packers have won one Super Bowl in the last, what is it now, 11 years? And it, today, by the way, or yesterday, it was a Deshaun Jackson game. Uh, I had, I was looking through my Facebook memories, and I had the Deshaun Jackson, the Zach Granke story, which actually, the Zach Granke where we could have broke news, everything like that. I think Mitch and I should probably do a podcast on that this week. Like, I think that should be maybe not, maybe not our top topic. It could be our top topic. It could be the number one topic for us. It should be lead topic. How we how we could have broken the Zach Granke story and tell the whole thing and lay it all out there and give give the whole background of it and what. What all happened? And and I know a lot of you will be like, how you guys could have easily been on the map and you fucked it up. I realize this, but we should tell that story because this that that also happened on this day, eleven or I think now yeah eleven years ago. But getting back to the one Super Bowl, so yes, the haters and the losers of which there are many would say, oh, you only have won one Super Bowl. Pittsburgh Steelers, for example, in that twenty six years have won three Super Bowls. The New England Patriots have won six. Like, yes, the Green Bay Packers are the odd duck of those three. I'm not denying that. They probably should have more Super Bowls on their mantle. But as we've said before, it's very hard to win the Super Bowls. And if the Packers didn't win it, then that means the Patriots would have had less or the Steelers would have less. They do have one less because of the Green Bay Packers, remember. There is always going to be another team potentially lurking in the woods. Even though they don't have a Super Bowl, I think so many fans would kill for that. I think so many fans would kill for that consistency. You're telling me that a Bengals fan who's had some good years wouldn't say, all right, I would do 15 years. I'd make the AFC championship game and that's that's our team. And we've been that good for the last 20 some years. They would take that any day of the week. I think the Jacksonville Jaguar fans would take that any day of the week. There are so many fan bases that would love to be what the Green Bay Packers are. So it's not cocky or arrogant to say this. Rather, it's explaining how the NFC North Championship has importance and meaning. And you shouldn't just shrug it off. A lot of fans will call into local radio stations and say, I don't really care about NFC championships or NFC North championships. That is bullshit. All right, they sh- they matter because what they show is the consistency of this 
program. And the Green Bay Packers have done an excellent job. 57% of the NFC North titles since 1995 have belonged to the Green Bay Packers. 76% of AFC East titles have belonged to the New York Patriots, or the New, New England Patriots, there we go. And 50% of the AFC North titles have belonged to the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Green Bay Packers have had an incredible run of consistency. And now the retort would be, why would you want to screw this up with Aaron, Rod- Aaron Rodgers leaving? Well, Brett Favre left in 2008 and the consistency stayed the same. If Aaron Rodgers were to leave, which I don't think he is, I've said that now for a few weeks, I think that the Jordan Love getting traded is more of a likely discussion than Aaron Rodgers leaving at this point. They're not going to screw it up. They're going to keep winning. And the Bears and Vikings and Lions are going to keep trying to figure out how do I build my roster to compete with the Green Bay Packers. They have not been able to figure out that consistency part. The Packers have not had a rival like the Kansas City Chiefs-Denver Broncos thing, where if you look at the AFC West, Chiefs have, I think, won the last, gosh, I don't know, five or six division titles. Before that, though, Denver had won a ton. And I actually might have should have looked at Denver in terms of the consistency model because Denver for, had an incredible run for quite a while. But there is nobody like the Green Bay Packers in the NFC North. It runs through Lambeau. It will always run through Lambeau. And Minnesota and Chicago will forever be nipping on the heels. And until they can figure out how to be like the Packers, it will always be that way. All right, I want to talk about the defense a little bit before... I go on to star ratings, a little bit of worried, not worried about the Packer defense. I'm not worried about the defense in general. I'm not ready to push the panic panic button. We love talking about the panic button here on this podcast. I am not pushing the panic button at all on this defense. I realize the last two games, they've given up 30 points. They've given up 60 points total the last two games. There will be radio topics this week wondering if Joe Barry got exposed. Joe Barry did not get exposed, all right? This Packer defense is not fading. This Packer defense is not reverting back to what we've seen with Mike Patton or Don Cabers. That's not what's happening. Rather, Joe Barry has some blind spots. And we all do in life. I have blind spots. We, you know, your best friend has blind spots. The Instagram thought you follow has blind spots. Everybody has blind spots in their life. Joe Barry's blind spot is apparently kind of run-heavy teams. Saw the Saints, who were ground and pound and dink and dunk, tear Barry up in the first game of the season. You also saw the same thing happen today with the Baltimore Ravens. Now, there's a very big caveat on why I'm not worried. I'll get to that in a second. San Francisco didn't have the same luck, but I'd argue that San Francisco did not know who their running back was. They were going through running back hell in week three, and they didn't really have an established back in on their team at that point. And so I think that really hampered what the Niners were trying to do and why I don't think you saw the Niners really cook in the same way that New Orleans and Baltimore did. But I'm not worried at all about this run first offense because Kenny Clark wasn't there. Kenny Clark is one of the best interior linemen, if not the best interior lineman 
in all of football. They desperately missed Kenny Clark. And I think Kenny Clark makes a huge difference in this game. I don't know if this game goes down to the wire if Kenny Clark is patrolling the middle. They did so much up the middle that Kenny Clark really should, could have prevented. And not having him there was a massive loss. And you got to really hope he comes off the COVID list to play against the Browns because they're going to need him. Because I do worry that the Browns are going to emulate a very similar approach that what you saw their rivals, the Baltimore Ravens, do. Would not surprise me in the slightest if we saw the same sort of grounded pound ball control that Joe Barry and this defense struggled with. I'm a little worried about running quarterbacks. I'm not like entirely worried about running quarterbacks. I think if I look at the NFC playoff race, who really is a running quarterback in that mix? You have Dallas with Dak, who hasn't really run since his calf injury. Tom Brady has the legs of an ostrich. Kyler Murray does run, but I do think his height works against him because I don't think Kyler Murray wants to get out in space a lot, and he takes a lot of big hits. And if Murray gets one big hit, it's Colt McCoy time. Matt Stafford would rather take a sack than run. And then you get into the other wildcard team, Jimmy Garoppolo, maybe. Tyler he- Taylor Heineke is, was a problem for the Packers back in October. Justin Fields did a lot with his legs Two weeks ago, Tyler Huntley did a lot with his legs this week. Agreement baggers are going to have to figure that out. And that is a little bit of an issue with the right team. But right now, I'm not necessarily worried about it because I just don't see a ton of guys to be concerned about run, running the football from the quarterback position. Kyler Murray might be the only one, but I don't really take Arizona that seriously. Everything that I thought about Arizona is coming true in these last two weeks. The Rams game was a complete choke, and then they lose complete focus and lose to Detroit. Yeah, Detroit. That says everything I need to know about Arizona, and I'm really not worried too much about what the Cardinals are. I am worried. I would say the one thing I am worried about, the one thing where I am panicking a little bit is the tight end coverage. Because I just look at that, and I'm like... If you can't cover tight ends, that was a problem for the Packers back in the past. And I felt like it was short up with Amos and Savage. But man, Darnell Savage really struggled in this game against Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews took his lunch money. Now the counter is, well, there's not a lot of Mark Andrews out there. Sure, but there are a lot of tight ends that are focal points of offenses that you'll have to face. Rob Gronkowski, Dalton Schultz, Zach Ertz. George Kittle is, the I think, the obvious one. I mean, if if you have to deal with George Kittle, I mean, that that gives me night terrors considering how bad they were against Andrews. And if they get to the Super Bowl and to the Chiefs, Travis Kelsey, I mean, they have to figure out how to make their defense more susceptible to stopping tight end. Or not the opposite, make it more... They have to figure out how to improve their defense against tight ends. They just they just have to. They cannot allow these tight ends to eat in the middle of the field. It will not surprise me if Cleveland tries to do it with Austin Hooper, even though I don't think Austin Hooper is at any level of the guys we just mentioned. 
but I still think they will try to feed him early and often as they will try to exploit similar things that the Baltimore Ravens did. So really, to me, the big concern right now at the defense is the tight end position. I'm not worried they gave up 30-plus points the last two games. I do think the Browns are a little bit of a get-right game considering they're playing today, and then they go and they're playing Saturday. So I do think that's a potential get-right spot for the Green Bay defense, and we'll see. If they give up another 30 points to a kind of a hapless Browns offense, then yeah, we probably need to have a conversation about what the where this defense is. Do they peak too soon? Is it an injury thing? What is it? But I, I am not ready there, ready to go there yet until I watch them for another game against the Cleveland Browns. All right, let's do star ratings. Uh, we're already pretty deep into the show, so we'll try to be quick. Uh, star ratings are our rating system, one to five. It's a little different than our golden kegs. Our golden kegs are all nice. Our star ratings can get a little mean when it comes to the one stars, the people who did not perform up to their standard or things that pissed us off during the game. Five stars has to go to MVS. MVS, five-star winner. I think it's the first time we really talked about Marquez Valdez-Scantling in star ratings. MVS, five catches, 98 yards, and a touchdown. He caught the franchise record tying touchdown from Aaron Rodgers. Marquez Valdez-Scantling has not really had the breakout year that I think a lot of people expected him to. A lot of people expected Marquez to sort of ascend to a number two or number three wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers. And Rodgers talked a lot about how MVS was almost there and how this game was in MVS. And Rodgers and MVS are buddies and he kept the words of encouragement. And lo and behold, MVS comes up with a massive game. I think that if you can get at least MVS or Alan Lazard to step up in the absence of Randall Cobb and provide relief for Devontae Adams. So Devontae Adams is the only guy kind of being fed. I think the Packers are going to win a lot of games. It doesn't have to be both Lazard and MVS. As long as one is cooking, that's a good sign. And it's really fun to see MVS kind of get going. And who knows, maybe he finishes strong. He kind of becomes that number two receiver for the Packers. Anything's really on the table there. Other five star, the... Rodgers and Favre connection. Not their relationship, not the whole Favre thing, which was really awkward by Aaron Andrews, by the way, after the game. Rather, the idea that the Packers have 884 touchdowns between Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. That is incredible. That is something worth celebrating. And it's just good to be a fucking Packer fan. I said that at the Open about the consistency. This is why you win 57% of your division titles when you have Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. Also five-star clinch in the North. We talked a lot about the North at the Open. Four stars, Aaron Rodgers, shout out. I I thought Rodgers played all right in this game. He had 268 yards. I felt like he could have had more against this porous Ravens defense. Rodgers missed some big opportunities. He obviously missed that touchdown pass. To Lazard, he missed that slant and go route to Devontae Adams to start the game. Both of those plays could have been massive gainers and could have really sort of pumped up what Rodgers' stats were. It's not that Rodgers played poorly in this game. That's not what I'm saying at all. 
Rather, I'm just saying he had a couple noticeable misses. That's what brings him down. But he still had some incredible plays. I thought the laser he threw to MVS through the middle of the field was otherworldly. The pass to Aaron Jones was great. Some of the ball fake shit that Rodgers has brought to the table has been really fun to watch. And I'll be really interested to see kind of how that develops and how that kind of grows as the year goes on. Other four-star, Eric Stokes. I thought Eric Stokes did a great job today on Hollywood Brown. Hollywood Brown did have 10 catches but 43 yards. So it's kind of like, well, I'm trying to think of a good comparison to this. It's like I have ten beers, but they're all they're all red dogs. So I gotta say hams, but hams is good. Hams is decent. But it's like coming to a party and being like, Oh hey, we need beer. Like, do you have any left? And it's like, Yeah, I got ten. You go, Oh great. That's a lot. That's more than we need. What did you what kind? And you're like, Oh, red dog, oh ice house, oh uh lacrosse lake or whatever that was whatever that beer was called. I think it was lacrosse light. Doesn't matter. To me, Eric Stokes did a really good job, and he didn't let Hollywood Brown loose. He was involved in the final play at the end uh, with Mark Andrews. That's big boy shit, and Eric, Eric Stokes deserves the credit. I still would think that Eric Stokes will be a rotating corner when Jair comes back and Russell Douglas gets the other side. He's earned it, and we are all all big Sewell guys, and Sewell won't show up on this star ratings. He did have nine tackles. But yeah, great game from Eric Soaks. I really liked what I saw out of him today against Hollywood Brown. Moving to the three stars, Darnell Savage's decision on the two-point conversion. The fact that Darnell Savage made a cut on that football to prevent Tyler Huntley from going to Mark Andrews was great. Savage did not have a good game. We'll talk about that in a second here. But that decision, that instinct to attack Mark Andrews in that moment was great from Darnell Savage. That's the type of stuff that we need to see night in and night out from that player. He has it in him. 26 has it in him to be that guy, but he just needs to kind of figure out how does he be that guy every play instead of just the most meaningful play in the game. Other three-star, Tyler Davis. I know he only had one catch. It was through the middle of the seam. I think everybody in their collective homes or bars was like, who the fuck is Tyler Davis? He's tight end. He went to Georgia Tech and UConn. He's 6'4". Really good size, 240. Uh, my guy Froggy was like, he's Jay Sturberger without the opiates. That That's a very great comp. I love that. As a Jace guy, I feel like I have to kind of be a Tyler Davis guy. I really liked what I saw from him. I think like... He has the body that you want out of a tight end. And if he can kind of be like first-year Robert Tunyon for this team and just be part of that tight end rotation with Josiah DeGuerra and Big Dog, I really like what the Packers have. And I, I think, mentioned this last week, or it was last week or the week before, they've really kind of figured out their tight end situation. And that's a really key component to what Green Bay wants to do from running the football, from play action, Having those tight ends is going to be really important for the Green Bay Packers. So I do like what Tyler Davis has there. I think that he has potential to be something maybe a little bit more. Two stars, Darnell Savage for the rest of the game. We mentioned it. We we said he just needs to play better. I don't need to beat a dead horse here, but 
Darnell Savage was really bad in that first quarter. It was an absolute shit show for him. I don't know if it was the nerves. I don't know if it was Mark Andrews is just that much better than him. Who knows? But that was one of the worst quarters I've seen from a player in quite some time. Really rough stuff for the Packers' safety. The other two stars is the inability to contain. I understand that Preston Smith and Rashawn Gary want to rush quarterback and sack them. But the lack of an outside edge is missing from both guys. And that could be a real issue come postseason. I know we went through the running quarterbacks. There aren't many for the backers. But still, you have to be able to keep contain. And if you're not, well, make sure there's someone there sort of sitting there, sitting ready and waiting. Because the whole reason why the Baltimore Ravens were able to come back, besides bad special teams, was the ability, the lack of contain on the edge. They just need a little bit more from Gary and Smith. They've had a great year, but it, you'd be critical of somebody even if they haven't had such a good year. The one stars, the bottom of the barrel, obviously we have to go to special teams. You cannot not go to special teams. Special teams are going to deserve it until, until we see some positives. And even when they go to positives... We're going to look at it and say, all right, that moves you up to a two-star. I don't know what a five-star special teams performance would look like. I can't even imagine it. I want to wring their necks out every time I watch them. It is terrible, terrible football viewing whenever the special teams are out there. They find new ways to fuck up every single week. Delay a game. Denver Warquez basically hits a punt off the heel of his foot. Thankfully, it didn't come back to cost the Packers because they won with a two-point conversion. I just don't understand how Matt LaFleur doesn't look at Murray straight and be like, fuck, dude, uh, brought you in, and you're not really producing. But who knows? That's for him to decide and not for me. I've said my piece on it. He's said his piece on it. We'll go our separate ways. Uh, the other thing would be Joe Barry's game plan, also a one-star just really pathetic stuff. We talked about it a little bit at the open, but it seemed like Barry assumed that they could do similar things they usually do without Kenny Clark. That's not the way to do it. They needed to have a revamped defensive approach with Kenny Clark being out, but Joe Barry didn't do that. Joe Barry didn't put a spy on Huntley. Joe Barry did not move around his defenders a ton against the Andrews except for a little bit of Kevin King at nickel safety, which is surprising to say the least. They just need to do more from an adjust, adjustments angle. But all in all, it was a good win for the Green Bay Packers. I like doing these star ratings when we're winning, not losing. And it was yet another win for your Green Bay Packers. All right, let's talk about Marquette and then ride out of here. The Marquette Golden Eagles are still learning. It is still a learning curve for the Golden Eagles. They lost to Xavier, if you missed it, over the weekend, 81 to 70. Uh, the Golden e- or 80 to 70, excuse me. That was a Kempom predicted score, which I thought was too high, but it wasn't. Uh, Kenny pretty much had it on the nuts, uh, 80 to 71. Marquette loses its first Big East game. Shock Smart still waiting for that elusive Big East win. Might come against UConn on Tuesday. It may not. We'll see with all, A, all the COVID issues, and B, if UConn is going to have Tyrese Martin and their big guy, who I cannot pronounce his last name, so I'm not going to even try. Uh, 
But what I'm going to say about Marquette is that they need to grow up just a little bit. And I know that they're a very young team. I realize and fully understand that my expectations are bare fucking bottoms. When I say like, hey, they need to grow up, I don't mean it as like this criticism. Rather, I just know that if Marquette sort of finds its sea legs on the road, they can beat some teams they're not supposed to. They're just not there yet. They're they're just a little a step away, step or two away from being something, from being something real good. And that's all right. And again, like we have to remind ourselves that at the start of this season, if you said, hey, Marquette's going to do really well just out the gates. They're going to struggle in the Big East, which is the best conference in basketball. But Marquette's going to make the NIT. I think every Marquette fan would take it. This was not an easy rebuild, and Shaka Smart has done it with flying colors. And his guys believe, his guys buy in. And unfortunately, they're just a touch, just a touch more physical on the other side of the ball. And I hope that changes. I hope you'll start seeing a little bit more when they're on the road that they can be the aggressor. But they weren't against Xavier. Xavier took it to them. I think the free throw discrepancy is an issue. Um, But I could probably look through Marquette box scores and they have not shot a ton of free throws this year. It's just kind of not their MO, which is weird considering they're very much layups or threes. That's it. So you'd imagine they would have more more foul attempts because of that. But they don't. So who knows? Marquette needs to make themselves known in the Big East. And I don't know if the free throw discrepancy was due to the fact their fans there and that's throwing off some officials. They're buying into more of what the crowd wants versus what's actually going on on the, on the basketball court. Just a frustrating thing that will, I think, get better as the years go on, as the months go on. But right now, it is it's not good. Let's hand out the golden kegs from this game. Now, as we mentioned with star ratings, golden kegs are all positive. They're all giving the flowers to the team. But instead of flowers, we're giving golden kegs. That is due to a Marquette-Milwaukee rivalry with club football, where the winner took home a golden keg. Three golden kegs goes to Greg Elliott. 18 points in this one off the bench for threes. Greg Elliott's all the way back. I think Greg Elliott should push for starting time. I like what Tyler Kolick does. The offense moves through Tyler Kolick. Maybe they're too small with Kolick and Elliott out there. But Greg Elliott has been the developing heart and soul of this team. He was the heart and soul of the team last year. It's starting to look that way again. After a guy who I thought first game, first two games looked a little disengaged. It's not that anymore at all. He's really found his shooting stroke. Unlike a lot what I've seen from Greg Elliott thus far. Two stars, Daryl Marcel. I think if you want to be really positive about this game, like overly positive, is that Daryl Marcel kind of found himself a little bit. He was 14 points, made a couple threes. That's kind of what you want to see. After his rock, rock, or out, after his red hot start, where he was a Ken Palm MVP three straight games, he fell off a cliff where he was only scoring about 11 points as his max. He's still kind of there, but getting up to 14 is most points he's had since the game against Mississippi. 
So you like to see that. He's all. This is also the first time he's made two threes since the Kansas State game. But even in that game, he was two of nine. So I don't really want to like champion that. I guess it's his first time shooting 50% or better from three with at least four attempts, which is this an obscure stat since that Mississippi State Mississippi game as well. But we need to see more from Morsell at the line. Morsell was really getting to the free throw line early on in this season. He's kind of went away from that. Now, is that because he's not getting layups or he's not getting calls? But you need a little bit more from Morsell when it comes to the charity stripe. The one golden keg will go to Tyler Kolick. Tyler Kolick has been terrible at shooting the basketball. He has thrown up some absolute rocks uh, in the games against UCLA, Kansas State, Wisconsin. Uh, Kolick was in quite a cold streak. He was one of 16 from three. Actually, if you add in Jackson State, he was two of 21. And if you even go further to Northern Illinois or and St. Bonaventure, so this is two of 21. Three of 25. I can do math, I promise. And then add St. Bonaventure, three of 29. So for about a month, Tyler Kolick was 3 of 29 from 3. And he finally had his best 3-point shooting day against Xavier. Uh, he also added 7 assists and had 5 rebounds. Very good performance from him. It, the one, one thing that annoyed me was the 3. Gosh, I don't know. They were starting to come back. It was about like 3 minutes left. And he forced one up. You just cannot let him be have be hero ball. You have to tell Tyler, like, either Justin Lewis or Marcel is getting the ball. I now feel like I should have gave it to Justin Lewis because I just remembered that that Tyler Kolick play, and I was like, ah, does he deserve it? Does he not? I think the three-point shooting is going to get better for him. I, I, I really do. I just think he's he's a little too, like, quick, tr- quick trigger pull, and it's like, dude, you're not Steph Curry. Like, you just aren't. All right, so stop pretending to me and be the distributor that you're really successful at. Like, his assist numbers are off the chart. Like, last three games, he's had seven assists. He had eight assists in the game against Wisconsin. Like, he is a guy that hands it out in terms of assists. And that's what Kolek has to do a little bit more of. Because right now, he's shooting 21% from three which is way down from 35%. You do assume law of large averages. That will that will kind of rise up a little bit. But it's been it's been really tough to watch and his assist rate is one of the best in college basketball, 23rd in Kempom. I think that needs to continue and hopefully it will. Hopefully you'll see more of that from Kolek as the year goes on. All right, that does it for our show today. We'll be back tomorrow. I'm not sure what Mitch and I will tape, uh, either Monday or Tuesday, back in the mix, and we'll uh, talk to you guys then. All right, see ya. Rate, review, subscribe, follow us on all the socials. Tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping the keg sports, everywhere else. All right, appreciate you guys. Have a great Monday. We'll be back tomorrow. See ya. Bye.